I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome to Play Me's special series, The Show Must Go On, and part three of Carried Away on a Crest of a Wave by David Yee. In parts one and two, we experience several unrelated narratives set in different places around the world, interconnected by the 2004 tsunami. We meet an orphan at an airport in Sri Lanka who is about to embark on a new life, a grieving husband who travels to Thailand where he lost his wife and a radio jock in Toronto set on defying his bosses by performing an outrageous parody on the air. This is the conclusion of Carried Away on a Crest of a Wave by David Yee. You've been gone four and a half years. That's a long time. It is. How deep is this hole? I don't know. I would have to say that it is at least four and a half years deep. Maybe five. Imagine that. How did you find me? I have a knowledge of holes. You are vaguer than a dimly lit room. Kobayashi-san, I will answer your questions. And then I have one for you. An important question that I have submitted myself down here to be answered. But my story begins with you and how you found yourself in this hole. You don't know? I have my ideas. The last anyone heard from you, you were in India. They had just identified your... your daughter's remains. After that, it was a mystery as to where you went. Toronto. I went to Toronto. To her apartment? I... When I arrived there, I thought I was in the wrong place. Mess everywhere. Bits of foil and syringes for drugs. The girl that lived in that place was a dark version of the daughter I knew. 
The same on the outside, but frightening inside. I was afraid you had seen this. I was... despondent. I turn on the radio for some music. I find music soothing. But the station, they... They were playing a song. A song I recognized, but the words were... twisted. Cruel. Impossibly cruel. I took a step backwards, and that's when it happened. I heard a floorboard crack, and I fell. Down a hole. I don't know where it came from. I guess it had been hiding there under the floor. And the hole did not... speak to you? Certainly not. It's a hole. What would it say? Hey... And Kobayashi-san, can you tell me? How did you not starve? Every now and again, when I get hungry, a chicken salad sandwich falls down the hole, followed by a bottle of water or orange juice. Sometimes I feel like I'm trapped in the bottom of a vending machine in Kyoto. You know the ones? Fascinating. Kobayashi-san, there is a deli down the street from me, and a little while ago, I noticed the owner throwing a chicken salad sandwich into a small hole near the back of the kitchen. That's what gave me hope you were still alive. You think I get tired of chicken salad sandwiches after four and a half years, but they're quite delicious. Yes, I eat there often. The secret is cumin. But I wasn't in a deli at the time. I was in Alice's apartment. They must be connected, the holes. I'm having a hard time believing any of this. You are full of fantastic statements, young man. I demand you tell me what's happening. Who are you? How do you know my name? The truth is, Kobayashi-san, I knew your daughter. We were lovers for a short time. She was outrageously beautiful, and as you can see, I am quite ordinary. But we found love nonetheless. Impossible. I have never even heard your name. But I have heard yours. One day, Alice was out and I was alone in her apartment. I was standing by the radio in the same place you stood, and I heard a noise beneath me. Like the sound in an airplane cabin, air being forced through a vent or turbine. I obsessed about it, finally prying up the floorboard to look. And that's when I first saw the hole. That's strange, I said. And to my surprise, the hole answered back. Not really. The hole spoke to you? I thought maybe I was crazy, but the hole kept talking to me. We had a lengthy and rather involved conversation about Kafka, of all things. This is absurd. You can't expect me to believe. I asked the hole what it was doing there in Alice's apartment, and it said it was waiting. It was waiting for Kobayashi Kentaro. Not Alice. Not me. The hole was waiting for you. I asked it why. It said, why is a hole in the ground a hole in the ground? Is it the absence of something beneath it? Or is it the very purpose for it being there to begin with? I don't know the answer. When you disappeared, I knew the hole must have found you. I've been living above you for these four and a half years. Sometimes I play music, Brahms or Bach mostly. Uh, sometimes a Tchaikovsky, if I'm feeling in the mood. 
was music. Huh? I thought I was going mad. The whole hadn't spoken to me the entire time I lived above you. Except today. Today it said something, and it's why I've come to find you. What did it say? It said simply, someone else needs the hole now. You had a question. You told me earlier. An important question. You've already answered it. When I told you who I was, you said you'd never heard of me. Not my name or... She never spoke of me, did she? Your Alice? My Alice? Maybe these things are not connected. Not like the holes in the apartment in the deli. Maybe our Alice's were different. After all. Maybe. Yes? Our last vacation together. We were in Italy. I remember. Vatican City was her favorite. During the trip, she had on a ring. Never took it off. Silver, a simple ring. Yes. I gave that to her. She would turn it around and around when we were walking. Smiling when she did and thinking. Maybe of you. Do you miss her? When I heard... My heart turned to dust. I coughed and my heart scattered out in the wind, never to be seen again. Hmm. I have a rope. It is attached to a winch that is bolted to the floor in her apartment. If I press this button, it will pull us up. That's a long rope. It is about four and a half years long. Just in time, then. Just in time. Maybe. Yes? This hole is the last thing I have of her. And it's... Well, it's a hole. I know it sounds... But maybe just one more day. I'm not done falling down yet. I will buy more rope. Domo. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
Lenore Thompson? Uh, uh what? Is, uh... uh this isn't a, a good time. Uh, can you come back tomorrow? I'm afraid it's rather urgent. May I come inside? Well, I'm baking a pie. Of course. Fine. Follow me, please. Oh, please, please don't touch anything. Just follow me. The, uh, the kitchen, my pie. Your name? What? Lenore. Thompson. Uh, Thompson is from my husband, you understand. And Lenore is care of my very loving adoptive parents who just didn't know what to name a Chinese baby, but who had a great affinity for the works of Edgar Allan Poe. Of course. Just surprising is all. You can call me Mei Ling or something, if it makes you feel better. No, no. Um, I'm sorry. Special Agent Nian. I'm with the FBI. Is this about the parking tickets? Because I, I paid those. Well, parking tickets aren't... aren't really our purview. No. No, I, I didn't think so. How rude of me. Can I offer you something to drink, officer? Agent. No, thank you. Mrs. Thompson... Lenore, please. Everyone just calls me Lenore. <laughs> like the poem. Right. Do you know it? I, I think you may want to sit down. I'm okay standing. I need to attend to the pie and... Please. Mrs. Thompson... Lenore. I regret to inform you that your son, Calder Thompson, was recently identified among the victims of the 2004 tsunami. I forgot the cinnamon. I'm very sorry. I can call someone if you need... It's uh, been four years. Uh, four years he's been missing. Why has it been? Well, there are thousands still unidentified processing those, and because of his young age, you understand, the records aren't... Um, I'm very sorry. Oh. Well, uh, thank you for letting me know. I'm sorry. Please stop saying that. I'm... Yes. Of course. I'm not someone inexperienced with loss, officer. There were five of us who left here that winter. Myself, my son Calder, my husband and my parents. Only I came home, so I, I am very familiar with loss. But um, uh, it's been four years. It's uh, difficult to hold hope in your heart for four years. I wasn't built for that kind of long-term storage. Fades away, bit by bit, day by day. Until you wake up one morning and it simply isn't there anymore, just this empty thing. Would you like me to call someone? Um, we have a chaplain. I'm not religious. I find the less you believe in, the less that can disappoint you. Now, uh, if we are quite finished... There's something. I... Something. Another reason I'm here. If it can wait until tomorrow, there's pie and uh, other things, errands. Uh, really, tomorrow would be so much more... <sighs> Get on with it, then. Lenore, can you tell me what you were doing in Thailand that year? Uh, it was a surprise. Uh, for my birthday, I was turning 30 and... <sighs> devastated about it. 
So my husband surprised me with a vacation. Our first family vacation. He booked us into a grand hotel. Spent way too much. I was so mad at him for spending so much money. And how long were you meant to stay? One week. But you were there an extraordinary amount of time in the end. Two months after the incident. Incident? I remember when it was still a tragedy. Of course. Um, if I could just ask you, Calder was, um, how old? Three. Mm-hmm. This is the passenger manifest for your return flight to Salt Lake. The airline moved two tickets, one for you and one for Calder. They were purchased together, that makes sense? Of course it does, of course. Um, what doesn't make sense is that it says both you and Calder were on the flight home. His ticket and passport were both scanned and registered. You understand that set off a red flag when we identified his body. It, uh, well, it raised some questions. Of course. Now, um, oh, I'm just trying to... Uh, what was his name? Whose name? Uh, the young boy who flew with me. Uh, uh, Liang Chung? Oh, damn it. Mrs. Thompson. Uh, Lenore, please. Please, like the poem. The sweet Lenore hath gone before with hope that flew beside. Now, what was his name? I'm afraid I don't understand. Well, there's, there was so much going on. <laughs> Families were stranded. The American consular couldn't be reached. People had lost passports and all sorts of things. This young boy, uh, about Calder's age, and his mother, uh, Chun? Kung? They were trying to get back home. California, if I remember correctly. But the boy didn't have his passport. I had Calder's and his plane ticket. I, I I was doing a good deed. So? So? You allowed this woman what? to use your son's documents to get back in the country? Well, only the boy. The, the woman had her own paper. Mrs. Thompson. Lenore. What you did was severely illegal. It's... I was helping, officer. This poor woman and her son, they, they were in a situation. A, a real situation, you understand. My mother always used to say, we have to be kind in times like those. We must not be cruel. There is a difference between cruelty and prudence. And mercy? What of mercy, then? I understand you were in a state of shock, and yes, the psychological, but this is not a time for semantics. You committed a felony offense. <laughs> you understand? You're telling me that you... understand... Of course not. I'm sorry. I lost everyone. Everyone I had in this world. Do you know what that is? To have that taken from you, can you tell me? You understand what that is? I can't. I should leave. The door is straight through here, and if you want to come back uh, tomorrow or next week even, it's just not a good time right now, like I said. This has all been very exhausting. I'm quite tired, so if you'll just... This isn't Beckett, officer, if you say you're leaving. You... Yeah, I want to sympathize. I do sympathize, and I'm sorry, I have to... You're like a dog uncovering a bone. You, you just keep scratching at me. What were you doing for two months in Thailand? Trying to find my son. Were you? 
Of course. Or were you taking other measures? Why, I don't... You flew to Bangkok for three weeks. Why? I... If you were looking, even if you were just grieving, why would you fly to Bangkok for so long? I, I, I got sick. Very sick. Food poisoning. The hospital was overloaded, so I, I flew to Bangkok. For food poisoning? Yes. For three weeks? Yes. What? So many Lakrang, half-children, like Calder, looking for their parents. You must have seen his face everywhere. So many of them in the aftermath. There'd be no way to tell when they were ushered into homes or trucks, carted away, taken away, to be sold. If you were implying adoption... Abduction. I resent the idea that... I can't even conceive of what I You stay in Thailand for two months. You fly back with a passenger who is now confirmed as, I'm, I'm sorry, as dead, Lenore. This house, those pictures, pictures of a child of at least six, not three, toys, new toys, in those boxes by the door. I need you to tell me what happened. I have told you. Oh, you are not the man you first appeared to be. You have duplicity, officer. Agent. Duplicity. You are a cavity inside a new veneer. But I can see you now rotting and decaying everything with your, your accusations. You cannot accuse people of things. Not when they've just... Not when they've lost what I've lost. Chameleon. Chimera, shame on you for changing skins on me. Your pie is burning. <laughs> Excuse the mess. I'm packing everything up. I'm, I'm leaving you, see. I won a contest. A contest to go and, and live somewhere far away from here. We're leaving tonight. Calder and I. We're leaving tonight and, and we will be so far away you'll never hear from us again. We'll just leave. You don't even have to know. You can just come to the door tomorrow and I won't be here. It happens. <laughs> Things like that, they happen. Calder? You gave him... His name? You call him by his name? Well, I just... wanted him back. I didn't want to be alone. It isn't him. This boy isn't... Just come back tomorrow. It's one day, not even that. It's, it, it's 12 hours. We were both orphaned that day. But we found each other. I, I provide for him. I am not negligent or abusive. I am a woman of means, and I, I love him. He has the opportunity to be anything if he's with me. What would his life have been there? A fishing village? He deserves so much more. What I had, he deserves what I had. He deserves a life of his own, not a... to be a replacement. He's a person, not a thing. Do you know 
that the sheer force of the earth that day moved the ground here in Utah? 11,000 miles away, did, did you know that? <clears throat> right here in this neighborhood, the ground shifted upwards by one millimeter. It's true, it was in the paper. And you don't even notice. Everything looks the same, not even a jar off the shelf. But an entire neighborhood has been changed. And when you say it that way, it, it sounds so much more dramatic, dire even. But it, it was just one millimeter, that, that's all. Who would notice that? If no one said anything, if it wasn't in the paper, who would notice something so small? Do you have children, Agent? I... Yeah. And do they mean everything to you? Mrs. Thompson... What would you have done? I'm sorry, Mrs. Thompson. Lenore. Like the poem. For her, the fair and debonair, that now so lowly lies, the life upon her yellow hair, but not within her eyes. The life still there, upon her hair, the death upon her eyes. Hmm. You do know it. Yeah. Yeah, I know it. They say a movie ruined this beach. You know that movie? With that good-looking kid from Titanic and that Scottish guy? Terrible movie. Anyway, after it came out, the tourists came by the hundreds. Thousands now, probably. It used to be pristine. Ah. But I was here back before the movie. Before the book, even. Maybe before that, when the author was still a young man and full of hope. Maybe then there was a paradise. Still, it beats Yangon. I like Yangon. Crowded. You know, there's a storm coming. You can see it if you look hard, a few miles out. My mother used to say the rain and the lightning were caused by the two brothers still fighting over the throne of heaven. Look, pal, I don't have any money on me. Oh, I wasn't going to ask. <laughs> I suppose I understand your mistake, though. It's laundry day. Right. Well, look, I, I kind of want to be alone here. 
Pretend I'm not here. I can be very quiet. I learned your military raids back home. It's a big beach, pal. Isn't it, though? Beautiful. Expensive. Oh, that's a word, isn't it? Yes. I don't need to be rude, but... No. It is I who am rude. My name is Mr. Vermin. Garcia. Diego Garcia. I like that. I like... Bond. James Bond. I guess. You're English. It's good. You need me to speak English? So I speak English. Amazing, I know. You've been praying. <laughs> no. No. I just found this. Under the sand here. May I? It's all yours. Why, thanks. I believe it's exactly what I've been looking for. Now, if you don't mind... Why are you out here? Uh, I'm sightseeing. Just like everyone else. You know what happened here? Out there? People died. Yes, they did. Terrible. People here. They're trying to move on. But some of them. Some just can't. You know how that is? Yeah. Yeah, I know how that is. So these people... They get distressed. Easily, most. They are... Searching... For something. A reason. An answer. Something to lay blame on. So how do you think people react to a man who comes through their beach? Comes to every beach? Sits on the sand? For days? Sometimes? When people ask why he's there, he tells them... They died because of me. What sort of man say something like that? To people like that? Who've been through what they have? A guilty man? Oh, no. Guilt is a funnier thing. Makes one hide in corners like a rat. Furtive. Ever seen a rat sit on a beach for days? No. This is a desperate man. To be sure. Sure. The people are funny. They hear a man say he's guilty and they think he's guilty. Isn't that funny? Not really. No, I suppose not. Because the next thing that happens is that these people begin asking for retribution. They demand it. They need it. And when it comes to what people need, Mr. Garcia, well, that's where I come in. Guilty or not, something has to be done about you. But hold on a second, I tell them. I haven't even met this man. So here I am. You seem pleasant enough. Not unsound mentally from all appearances. Good looking. If you like that sort of thing. So... Anything I should know? I work. Used to work. At the PTWC in Hawaii. And there was a quake on the 23rd on the border of the Indian Ocean. I sent out a warning to the coastal areas and that there was a danger of tsunami activity. 
that turned out to be false. And that wasn't a small quake, that was a 7.8. But nothing happened. I was working again on the 26th, when the Sumatra quake hit. At first, it measured an 8.0, and after... Yes? I released a bulletin that said, no destructive tsunami threat exists. I didn't know. It wasn't an 8.0. It turned out to be a 9.2. The third largest earthquake in history. And I'm the guy who told everyone to go back to sleep. It was probably nothing. I guessed. Over a quarter of a million people died that day because I guessed at something I didn't know. I stopped going to work. I left Hawaii. I've been to every place that goddamn water touched. I've sat on every beach from here to Somalia. And do you think I've cried? Any men would? Not me. Not one tear. Nothing to give. So just... Just do it. You want someone to answer for this? It's me. Me alone. Stop me if you've heard this one. A man is stranded in a flood. He's a faithful man. So he prays to God to rescue him. The water keeps rising. A man has to climb on the roof of his house. And then a rescue boat shows up. And they invite the man on board. He says, no, God will rescue me. The boat goes off to rescue his neighbor. A little while later, water's still rising, up to his neck now. A hovercraft comes by. They tell him to get on board. He says, no, God will rescue me. They leave as well. Finally, a man is treading water in a helicopter lowers a rope down. They yell at him to take it. And he says, No. God will rescue me. The man drowns. When he gets to heaven, he asks God, Why didn't you rescue me? And God says, I sent you a boat, a hovercraft, and a helicopter. What do you want from me? <laughs> so, so what? You're telling me God sent you? You see a boat? Or a helicopter? No. I'm telling you there is no God. We have to save ourselves. We're men. We're only men. Uplifting. Sorry. I'm convinced now of what you need now. Of the crime, of the punishment. But you have got some time yet. You've got until the storm comes, okay? 
I was fishing when it happened. Off the coast of Burma, where I'd grown up, lived all my life. Do you know that if you're far enough out on the ocean, away from land, the waves will pass right under you and you won't even notice? You rise and fall with them. But it is... gentle. Almost. I was not far enough out to experience this. But I am told this is the way. I was closer. I still didn't notice the waves until I started moving on them. Until suddenly I was backwards, stirring to bow, and rushing towards land. I don't know how I stayed afloat. I don't know... why. I didn't capsize like the others. And maybe... Maybe this was something I was meant to see. Maybe this was punishment for everything I had done wrong. 38. I was 38. I rode in on the wave like one of the four horsemen. A harbinger of death, a rider on the storm. I saw nothing at first. Nothing but water in a sliver of horizon. And like on the shoulders of this impossible giant. From a great height. I saw land. Beach. Then trees. Buildings. Then... Then I saw people. I saw their faces. And I thought... People have such friendly faces. Then I passed out. I woke up on one of the main roads in Thailand. Kilometers inland. My boat was nowhere to be seen. I woke up beside another man, enormous gash across his face. A face I didn't know, but looked familiar somehow. I found his identity card in his back pocket and started calling his name at him, pumping on his chest, crying, yelling his name. But he would not answer. Later, I would examine the card and realize the man and myself were born on the same day of the same year. He was 38 years old. I passed out again. And this time I awake in a Thai hospital. Faces all around. New faces. The dead and the living moving in and out of rooms so quickly. Faces everywhere. Strange faces. And I begin to notice something I have never paid attention to before. I start to really look at people. Pretend you're in a hospital, or a busy street, or in a theater. Pretend you're in a theater, and you're sitting next to people you haven't met. Now maybe someone asks the time, and you tell them it's almost 8 o'clock. The show should be starting soon. And he nods, and you go back to your lives. And you don't even notice that this man bears a striking resemblance to your father. Even to you. You will never know that the man was born in the same hospital you were. You won't know if he has children at home waiting for him, or if he lives alone, or what he watches on television before he goes to sleep. You won't know this man contracted a rare blood disease on vacation in Maldives.
and you will never know that the hospital he goes to will experience a shortage of his blood type for transfusion. And so you won't know when this man dies. And then it will truly be of no consequence that the blood he needed courses in your veins. Because he only ever asked you the time. And you only ever told him it was eight. The show should be starting soon. This is what I think about in the hospital. It is, I think, the saddest day of my life. But consider for a moment that we live in a world of magic and inexplicable serendipity and that anything is possible. And in that world of hope and possibility, I turn to the woman in the bed to my right. I think of all the faces I have seen, those passing me on the street, brushing right up against my shoulder, whose names I never learned. I say, what is your name? She tells me, she wants to know where her daughter is, if she's safe. She shows me a picture of a young girl. Her face is red from the sun and she's smiling. The smile of an 18-year-old who has never been touched by tragedy. I'm sorry, I say. I remember your daughter. I saw her face. I had on the shoulders of that giant. I saw that 18-year-old smile turn into something that's burned into my eyes. Right into my eyes. The woman cries. And she cries. And then she says, Thank you. Consider that I am Burmese, receiving Thai care. And every time a police officer comes through the hospital, I turn my face. But they're coming now, checking papers. Thai on one side, Burmese on the other. Many Burmese I hadn't even realized. They're being put in a corner, my brothers, to be taken first to jail, then back across the border. Back to the dirt and the rot. A uniform is in front of me now, asking for papers. And my heart stops. I look at my brothers. Now, consider that I still have clutch in my hand for days the dead man's identity card. The man who I only realized just now looks remarkably like myself. I hand it to the officer. He's suspicious. He asks the woman, do you know this man? The woman's crying. He asks her again, Do you know this man? And finally, she nods. And like that, I am free. I can 
Considering the days that follow, I speak to every person in that hospital. I find that if I look at them, really look at them, I know what it is they need. And I find it. I always find it. It is my gift. In this world touched by curse, the man who rode on the harbinger's shoulder is now, is now their guide, their way back home. Consider this could all be legend, that a man with such a gift could never actually exist, not in this world. Consider it could be a morality tale, inspiring us to think of what we could achieve if we just helped our brothers and sisters. If we just looked at one another, if we just cared what one another truly needs, consider this could only be a fraction of reality and it is probably best left never investigated. Because what truth we find in hope often pales to the hope we might have gained to begin with. But consider also that, like anything, this is a story that might be true. Because we are all connected. And we are, none of us, alone. That was the conclusion of Carried Away on the Crest of a Wave by David Yee. Our next episode will feature an in-depth interview with a Governor General award-winning playwright. The play was performed by Richard Lee, Ash Knight, Richard Zapieri, Epony Lee, Mako Nguyen, John Ng, and Nadim Philip. The original stage production was directed by Nina Liakino. Carried Away on the Crest of a Wave was created with the support of Native Earth Performing Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, the Toronto Arts Council, and the Canada Council for the Arts. The play premiered at Tarragon Theatre in 2013. This episode's sound design and edit are by Chris Tolley. We look forward to sharing another play with you soon. In the meantime, stay well. If you haven't already, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast to help us get the word out to more listeners. We'd also love your feedback about our show. You can email us at playme at cbc.ca and follow us on Twitter at Expect Theatre or on Instagram at Playme Podcast. 
Special thanks to our CBC producers, Fabiola Melendez-Carletti, Cecil Fernandez, and Tanya Springer. The executive producer of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani. The senior director of audio innovation is Leslie Merklinger. Play Me's associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is produced by Expec Theatre in partnership with CBC Podcasts. For more information on our plays and artists, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.